Make sure you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning as we dive into God's Word together. It is a blessing to study God's Word with you. Dr. Helen Rezevier served as a missionary to the Congo in the 1950s and 60s. And she told this true story, and I'm going to just allow her to share it in her own words. She wrote, A mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, Send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as we opened it. Much to their surprise, under some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed so boldly started to dig deeper, exclaiming, If God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of that child's sincere request. And five months earlier, he had led a ladies' group to include both of those items in that box that they mailed. Isn't God awesome? He is an awesome God. And we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. Amen? Amen. Well, make sure you do have those Bibles with you and open to James chapter 5. Uh, This morning we'll be finishing uh, James together. Uh, We started this study back in February. Uh, took a few months off for COVID because I believed God was uh, laying some other messages on my heart to share with you uh, during those early months of that stay-at-home order. Uh, But we have, over the last couple months, picked up uh, in James chapter 4, and today we finish the final chapter, James chapter 5. So we'll be in James chapter 5, starting in verse 13 in just a moment. Remember the theme of this book of James. Remember why God put it in the Bible in the first place. Uh, the message that runs throughout these entire five chapters is this. Christians, grow up. Grow up. The theme of James is maturity in Christ. You see, God has given us the greatest mission that's ever been given in the history of the world. God has given his followers, followers of Jesus Christ, the mission to reconcile a lost and dying world to Jesus Christ. To reconcile a lost and dying world to God. He has given us this message, the gospel, to share with a world that desperately needs God. And the world will not hear that message if God's, if God's followers are acting immature. If we don't grow up, the world will not be able to hear that message about Jesus Christ. And so God wants us to have our, our words and our actions and our attitudes be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Our words should become more like His over time. Our actions and our motives should become more like His over time. And that's this central message that James has been conveying to us in these five chapters. So we're in James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. I hope you're there in your Bibles. Please follow along as I begin reading. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. 
Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has been, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death, and will cover over a multitude of sins. May God bless us as we study and apply His Word to our lives today. Well, I want you to take another look here at verses 13 and 14. In those two verses, verses 13 and 14, James asks three quick questions. Number one, is any of you in trouble? Number two, is anyone happy? Number three, is anyone sick? And in James' typical short and sweet style, he gives us three very quick answers to those three quick questions. The question, if you're in trouble, he quickly answers there in verse 13 by saying, you should pray. That's what you should do if you're in trouble. Question number two, if you're happy, he says, this is what you should do if you're happy. You should sing songs of praise. And question number three in verse 14, if you're sick, what should you do? You should call the elders of the church over to your house Have them pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. So three quick questions and three quick answers. Now let's take a look at each of these one at a time. First, if you are in trouble, James says, you should pray. Prayer is one of my favorite subjects. and I'm so glad we're in this passage together today. There's so much I'd like to say about prayer and we just don't have enough time. So I'll just kind of scratch the surface on prayer today and hit some of the highlights. In in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, I want you to remember those theme verses of James. In in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here in the the final verses of chapter 5, James once again is shining the spotlight on trials. It's been a common theme through these five chapters. As Christians, we will at times suffer. As Christians, we will at times experience pain. We will go through trials as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not a possibility. It's a guarantee. We will have trouble in this world. And so James asked that question, is any of you in trouble? We could also say it this way, are any of you dealing with difficult circumstances or are any of you facing hardships? James doesn't tell us what kinds of hardships he has in mind. It really doesn't matter. It's it's rather irrelevant what specific hardships he might be thinking about because he gives us here a principle that deals with all hardships that we as Christians might face. Regardless of what trouble comes our way, he says, we need to pray. 
No matter what the specifics are of that hardship or that suffering or that pain, he says you need to pray. If your marriage is falling apart, guess what you need to do? James says you need to pray. Uh, If your kids are driving you crazy, what do you need to do? James says you need to pray. If your boss or your co-workers are acting like jerks, James says you need to pray. If your bills are due and you have no money, what do you do? James says you need to pray. If your doctor says that he doesn't like the results of your blood work, you need to pray. If you have a pop quiz and you're not prepared for it at all, what do you do? James says you need to pray, right? No matter what the difficulty is, no matter what the hardship is, James says you need to pray. That's what every believer and follower of Jesus Christ should do in times of trouble. Now, you've probably heard that God answers our prayers in one of three ways. When you pray and ask God for something, he either says yes, no, or wait. Most of you have heard that before, right? But I love how Bill Hybels points out to us when it is that God gives those different answers. And here's how he says it. I'm going to put it on the screen. I'd like you to jot this down because it's so important. I don't want you to forget this. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says, wait. If the, oh, I think I said that wrong. Yeah, let me say it again. If the request is wrong, God says, no. If the timing is wrong, God says, slow. I like that better, it rhymes. If you are wrong, God says, grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says, go. It's a good thing we put it on the screen because I botched it up with how I said it. So I think that's just really well said. Request is wrong. God says no. Timing is wrong. God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says go. It is done. I will answer that prayer. Well, that's just a quick summary of what James is hinting at as he says that we need to pray when we go through trials and difficulties and hardships. Uh, The second question he also asked this in verse 13, is anyone happy? Is anyone happy? He says, if so, we should sing songs of praise. Uh, Many Christian men don't like what James says here. Let's be honest with each other. A lot of Christian men do not like to sing. Many Christian men will read this and say, seriously, James? (laughs) Seriously? I'm not in kindergarten anymore. And I'm not a character in some Disney animated princess movie. I don't like to sing. I don't want to sing. You're telling me that when I'm feeling happy, I got to sing? And James says, that's exactly what I'm saying. You see, God loves it when his people sing. God loves it when followers of Jesus Christ sing praises to him. We know that there are many animals and, and birds and, and, and even uh, creatures of the sea that make beautiful noises. Uh, you think of the beautiful sounds of the whales calling through the ocean. And those calls sometimes uh, can be heard by other whales, uh, I think like five, ten, even more miles away than that. You know, these things can travel for miles, these beautiful sounds of the whales. You think of some of the songbirds out there that sing these beautiful tunes in the morning. Uh, you think of some of those in the animal kingdom that make these beautiful noises. God, I believe, enjoys those beautiful noises, but God has wired you and me uniquely to praise Him through singing. 
We can praise God in a way that no animal, fish, or bird could ever praise Him. God has created us with that unique ability to praise Him through our singing. And He loves to hear us sing. Well, He wants to to hear us sing praises to Him. Uh, Whether we like to sing or not, whether we think we can carry a tune in a bucket or not, God wants to hear His people sing. Well, James, I think his words are are so, so important for us today because I think more and more Christians and churches will sit and listen quietly while others sing. And God wants us to understand that it's not our job to sit and listen quietly week after week. He wants us to participate. He wants to hear you as one of his sons or daughters sing praises to him. If you and I are living out this stuff that we've been told to live out here in the book of James, then we really should be singing all the time. Remember once again what he says in those first few verses of chapter chapter 1. He says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So what that means is, no matter what trial you're going through, you are to count it all joy. And if you are counting it all joy then what he says here in verse 13 of chapter 5 is, in all circumstances that you deal with in life, be they good, bad, or ugly, God wants you to sing praises to him. Well, it says if you're happy. Well, happy is another word for joy, isn't it? If you're counting it all joy, then in any circumstance you're in, you should be able to sing praises to God. And so what a beautiful insight here. We can sing to God really at any time. I love how in Job 35, verse 10, we're told that God gives us songs in the night. The Apostle Paul and Silas proved this in Acts 16. Remember, they were there in prison in Philippi. Uh, They had had their backs beaten, and so their backs were exposed and bloody and bruised, and I'm sure they were uh, dealing with just terrible pain. And they were put into the inner dungeon, and their feet were put in stocks. And at midnight, what did they do? They praised God. They were in a crummy situation. They were dealing with some major trouble, but they were able to praise God because they counted it all joy. They considered it pure joy when they faced trials for Jesus Christ. If you're going through a trial, James says, pray. And if you're responding properly to that trial, you will consider it pure joy and start singing. Did you know that some of the greatest hymns and praise songs that the church sings were written during times of trial and difficulty and pain and suffering. A few quick examples. Amazing Grace, probably the best-known Christian song of all time, was written by John Newton as he reflected back on the horrors he had committed as a slave ship captain. It Is Well With My Soul was written by Horatio Spafford as he passed over the waters where his four daughters had all drowned just a few days earlier. I Can Only Imagine was written by Bart Millard after his dad died of cancer. Uh, There's healing power in praise. As there is healing power in prayer. And, And when we praise God through the storm, and we pray to Him through the storm, and our praise and our prayer is fused together into one, praising Him and praying to Him through the storm, that power is magnified. Oh, God can give us strength to persevere, courage to press on and face our obstacles and do the impossible during times of trial as we pray and praise Him. 
And as those two go hand in hand. I love the words to that old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Do you remember how that last verse goes? It goes like this. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I don't know how many times I've sung that to someone at their bedside, someone that was going through trial, difficulty, illness. What a powerful, powerful lyric that is. Jesus knows our every sorrow. He knows our every weakness. And we can take it to the Lord in prayer. When our prayers are fused together with our praise, God will give us the ability to patiently endure whatever trial or difficulty or hardship that we face. Brothers and sisters, if your circumstances are good and you're feeling good, sing to God. If your circumstances are ugly and you're feeling down in the dumps, sing to God. Consider it pure joy and sing anyway. Whether your circumstances are good or bad or ugly, God is good and He is worthy of our praise. So sing to Him, Christians. Sing to Him. No matter what you're going through, it doesn't change the fact that God is good, that God is strong, that God is faithful, that God is loving, that He's working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. No matter what you're going through, it doesn't change the realities of who God is and what He will do for you. And so praise Him and pray to Him. James says you will not regret it. Well, I want you to look again at verses 14 through 16. As James is going to ask that third of those three questions that I mentioned earlier. James 5, starting in verse 14, James says once again, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I want you to notice what James says in verse 14 here. Is any one of you sick? That's the third of the three questions. Remember the first two questions he asked in verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? Secondly, is any one of you happy? Third question in verse 14, is any one of you sick? And James once again answers his question uh, in a short and sweet way. He answers that third question, what do you do when you're sick? Call the elders to pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Notice what James says in verse 15. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. James is calling our attention to the same truth that Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. And here's that truth. Sin can make you physically ill. 
You may not have known that. Sin can make you physically ill. Sin's not the only cause of sickness, but it's one of the main causes. One of the reasons people have health issues is because they've sinned over and over for too long. And we won't get into the specifics of that. You can deal with those yourself. But the truth is, sin is one of the main reasons why we deal with illness and sickness. The Bible is very clear on that, even though uh, we may not want to hear that truth. And especially when sin is the cause of illness in our lives, James tells us to call the church elders to pray over us and anoint us with oil. And I want you to notice here who James says is supposed to take the initiative to get that meeting together between the sick person and the elders. Who does he say should take the initiative? Surprisingly, it's not the elders. Now, many Christians get all upset and many of them even leave a church saying, you know what, the, the leadership doesn't respond to people's needs when they're sick. Well, that may be the case in some churches. But the bigger issue, according to James, is not that the elders are invited, not that they're failing to invite themselves over to the sick person's house. The bigger issue, James says, is the sick person is not calling the elders. The initiative needs to be taken by the one who is sick, the one who is ill. If you are sick and ill and at home, the elders may not even know about that. And so he says, make sure that you call and ask them to come. And so James is saying, call the elders of the church to pray over you, to anoint you with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, what is the point of the oil? Well, there are a couple of different possibilities. In James' day, in Bible times, uh, olive oil was one of the most common medicines used for a variety of ailments. Uh, when someone had open wounds, they would put olive oil on them to help sterilize those wounds. When someone had a fever, uh, they would give them olive oil to help bring the fever down. It was an anti-inflammatory, still is today. Uh, olive oil has many antioxidant properties, many anti-inflammatory properties. So you know, for many years, they uh, used it for gastrointestinal issues. Uh, all sorts of things they used olive oil for. So some believe that what James is saying is call the elders to come and treat the wound, to treat the illness with oil. And then secondly, make sure they pray for you. And so your physical need is met by the elders and your spiritual need is met by the elders. Well, that's interesting. That's a possibility. But more likely, if James had intended for the elders to practice medicine, uh, he wouldn't have said elders practice medicine. He would have said, call a doctor to come and give you that olive oil. Call a doctor to come uh, treat your wounds or your injuries or your sickness. And then ask the elders to pray for you. And so most Christians believe what was going on here was he was saying, come with uh, that oil, elders, and anoint those wounds with oil, symbolically representing that the Holy Spirit is being invited to heal that person. Because in Scripture, oil oftentimes is symbolic of God's Spirit. And so I believe that that's what James had in mind. So when we practice anointing with oil at Impact Christian Church, uh, we don't do it that often, but when we do, it goes hand in hand with the prayer. We might put a little oil on someone's forehead or on their wrists, and we pray that God's Holy Spirit would be upon them to heal them, to touch them, to fill them, to use them to carry out His purposes. So, when we take verses 13 through 15 together, James is saying, Christians, if you're in trouble, you should pray. Number two, if you're joyful, 
And you should always be joyful. You should sing praise songs. And number three, if you're sick, you should call the elders of the church and they will pray over you and anoint you with oil in Jesus' name. And James adds in verse 16 that we should confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we may be healed. Some Christians believe that the healing James describes in verses 15 and 16 takes part in in two steps. Step number one is the sick person uh, calling the church elders to pray over him and anoint him with oil. And when that healing comes after the elders pray, it's a partial healing. That person is made well enough to go to the second step. And that second step involves reaching out to anyone that that person has sinned against in order to make amends. He or she will reach out to that person he has offended or sinned against, and he will confess that sin to them. She will confess that sin to the person that she may have uh, injured or insulted or, or sinned against somehow. And that opens the opportunity for reconciliation to take place between those two parties who were fighting against one another. And so that's an interesting interpretation. That's a possibility. James certainly is saying, if you are sick because of your sin, make sure you have the elders come and pray over you. And then if you have offended someone, if you have sinned against someone, make sure that you make things right with that person. Confess your sin to them. Ask for their forgiveness and pray with them. Because God doesn't just want to bring reconciliation with him when we sin. He wants us to reconcile with people that we have sinned against. And so James is really describing both here in these two verses. When our bad health is a result of sin, health and healing can only come when we make things right with God and also make things right with those who we've sinned against. Listen to these insights from Matthew Henry. He writes, The great thing we should beg of God for ourselves and others in the time of sickness is the pardon of sin. Sin is both the root of sickness and the sting of it. If sin be pardoned, either Affliction shall be removed in mercy, or we shall see there is mercy in the continuance of it. Now, that's kind of lofty language. Here's what Matthew Henry is saying. When you are physically sick or suffering, there is something much more important than being healed of your sickness or your illness. What is most important is your sin and for others' sin to be forgiven, right? Even more important than being physically healed of your pain and suffering and your illness. Even more important than that is being delivered from your sin and others being delivered from their sin as well. Because if God forgives your sin, you will be covered with his mercy one way or another. Catch this. God will give you his mercy one way or another when you are sick and you pray for his forgiveness and you reconcile with those who you've sinned against. God will give you his mercy. Either he will give you his mercy by giving you strength to patiently endure your illness, or he will give you mercy by healing you of your illness. Either way, you're going to be underneath the mercy of God because he will have forgiven you, and he will have brought you to the place where you can endure, whether you continue to be ill or he heals you of it completely. Either way, you're under the mercy of God. Isn't God awesome? Well, at the end of verse 16, we read these life-changing words. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It goes without saying that this verse doesn't just apply to men 
Ladies, the prayer of a righteous woman is equally powerful and effective. Most of us have known a God-fearing women whose prayers were powerful and effective, right? Oh, where would we be in our lives today? Where would the church be if it were not for the faithful prayers of godly women? James points to Elijah in verses 17 and 18 as an example of a, a godly man whose prayers were powerful and effective. He prayed that it wouldn't rain in northern Israel, and it didn't rain. Three and a half years later, he prayed that it would rain again, and God brought rain. The prayers of that righteous man were powerful and effective. Now, can prayer be just as powerful for us today? Absolutely. We serve the same God. The same God of Elijah in the book of Kings is the same God that you follow today. So absolutely God can work through the prayers of his people today just as he did in Old Testament times. Your own prayers can be powerful and effective. Uh, we're told in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That being the case, without faith, it is impossible for your prayers to be powerful and effective. And so think of that. One of the reasons that you and I don't see answers to our prayers today uh, as much as we might read of them happening in the New or the Old Testaments is because our faith wavers. We have to have faith in our prayers. If it is true, uh, and we know it is, that without faith it is impossible to please God, how can we expect God to answer our bold and courageous prayers if we don't have faith in those prayers? We have to have faith that God will hear and answer our prayers. And when we do, our prayers coming from righteous lips and righteous lives are powerful and effective, just like they've been in Bible times. James ends with this final thought in verses 19 and 20. He says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from both death and cover over a multitude of sins. Throughout this entire letter, James has been urging us to put wheels to our faith. It's not enough to be saved we must live out our salvation. It's not enough to be hearers of the word. James says we must be doers of the word. It's not enough to talk the talk. We must walk the walk. And James says it's not enough to pray for backsliding Christians. We must lead them back to Christ. When we lead a backsliding Christian back to Christ, it could literally save his or her life here on earth. And when we lead a non-Christian to Christ, it will literally save their life in eternity. So whether you look at these last couple verses as replying, as applying to a, a non-Christian who didn't really ever accept Christ in the first place, or to a Christian who accepted him and then backslid, either way, James says, bring them back to a true knowledge and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. When we lead a, a backsliding Christian back to Christ, it could literally save their life. And when we lead that non-Christian to Christ, it will definitely save their life. The greatest mission ever given to men by God was the mission we've been given to lead lost and dying sinners to Christ. But these last two verses of James remind us it's not just about winning the lost. Don't miss this. It's not just about winning the lost. It's also about winning the saved. There are saved Christians who need to be saved. You know what I mean? There are saved Christians, if they were to die today, they'd make it to heaven, but barely. 
Because they've been backsliding. They've turned their backs on Christ. They haven't served Him faithfully. And so James reminds us in these last couple of verses that we are to save those that are completely lost, but we're also to save those who are saved, but almost just as lost as those who have never known Christ. Oh, God has given us this mission to save both the lost and also to win the saved. There are millions of backsliding Christians out there who need to return to Christ. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're one of them. For some of us, that backsliding Christian may be the person in the next room. You're watching this in your family room or your bedroom today. Maybe underneath your roof, one room over, is a backsliding Christian. And what is God calling us to do through His Word today? Well, perhaps as you're listening to this message, God is saying, you need to get right with me. You need to stop the backsliding and you need to get back to not just listening to the Word, but doing what it says. You need to get back to living out your faith and making an impact in this world for Jesus Christ. You need to pray. You need to start singing to me once again. And you need to start calling for prayer so that others can come alongside you and lift you up to where you need to be. Or maybe God is speaking to you today and saying that person in the next room or that next door neighbor or your boss or your coworker, or your family member, or your friend, whoever they are, that you know is backsliding, that is not following Christ as they committed to follow Him years ago, you need to reach out to that person and boldly lead them back to Christ. It's one of the greatest things you and I could ever do. Leading someone to Christ who has never known Him or leading someone to Christ who has known Him and has since that point been backsliding. You know, next week is National Back to Church Sunday. It actually was today. We're celebrating it next week. And for Back to Church Sunday, I want to just repeat what I shared earlier in the service. We have these two challenges. Really, invite person number one and invite person number two. Those are your two challenges. Invite two people. Those who need to be at church that haven't been to church in a while, reach out to that person in the next room. Maybe say something like this, you know what? I was thinking about you today. God had you on my heart today. It's been a while since we've gone to church together. Next week is Back to Church Sunday. Would you watch this broadcast with me next Sunday? Can we commit here a week ahead of time to watch this together next Sunday at 10 a.m.? Or maybe you're feeling a little more bold and you say, you know what, I'm going to go try the outdoor service next week. And you invite that family member or friend or neighbor and say, you know what, I'd like to know if uh, you go to church with me next week. I know you used to go to church and it's been a while. Would you go with me next week? May I encourage you to be bold enough to do what James is encouraging us to do in these final verses? He said so much in these five chapters. And there's a reason he concluded with these two verses. He wanted to make this one final plea. It's not just about living out our faith ourselves. It's about helping each other live out their faith as well. Would you reach out to at least two people this week and invite them to join you for church next Sunday, either 9 o'clock at our outdoor service or 10 a.m. right here online. Invite them to church with you and see how God will work as you lead them back to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you've given us. And we thank you for giving us this wonderful charge in your word. When we're going through times of trouble, to pray. Lord, when we're feeling pretty good and happy and joyful, to sing praises to you.
And Lord, when we're dealing with the aftermath of our own sin that's causing us sickness or pain or grief, this charge, Lord, to humbly call other mature believers, leaders from our church to pray over us, anoint us with oil, and pray for our deliverance. Lord Jesus, help us to pray and to praise and to pray with others, Lord, and to confess our sins to each other so that we may be healed, so that we may be delivered, so that we may be set free. And help us, O God, to pray with faith, to believe that you are still a God who hears and answers bold and courageous prayers. And help us, O God, to reach out to those who have never known Christ and lead them to Christ. And help us to boldly reach out to those who once knew Christ but have since put you on the back burner. Lord, may we reach out to them and lead them back to you as well. Oh, it's a glorious thing when we turn sinners away from their sin. Help us, O God, to live out this great teaching from the book of James. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to go into our time of communion together. One of my favorite presidents of all time was Abraham Lincoln. We're, of course, in an election year. In less than two months, millions of Americans will be going to the polls and voting for the next president. And many Americans are not crazy about either of the major party candidates. But you know what? Abraham Lincoln is one that most of us admire and respect. Do you know what he said about prayer? He said, I have many times been driven to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. What a glorious word. I've been driven to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Let me just say to you, brother, sister in Christ, you have nowhere to turn but Jesus Christ. He's your only hope. He's your only source of peace. As we take communion together in just a moment, As believers in Jesus Christ, let me say to you that are not yet followers of Christ, if you know that you need to get right with Him today, if you know that if you were to die today, your chances of making it to heaven are really slim, I want you to know that you can accept Christ right now. A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner and you need Christ. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And see, choose to follow Him right now. Turn from your sin. Say a little prayer to Him and say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I'm sorry for what I've done. Come into my life and be Lord and Savior of my life. And I'll be baptized as soon as I possibly can to show the world that I'm serious about following You and obeying You as my Savior and Lord. And if you've already made that decision and you want to take communion with us today, I encourage you to take of the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body broken for us. Take of the juice or the wine that reminds us of His body that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. And I'm going to ask you just to hold those for a few moments so you have an opportunity to pray, asking God to forgive you, making sure that you're taking of the bread and juice in a worthy manner. Take a few moments and pray. And then take of the bread and the juice by yourself or with those who are in the room with you. And as you're meditating and praying to God, we're going to have one final song in our service. God bless you. 
as you come around the table with us to take of the bread and the juice.